Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have me, sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this new crazy mother. What's up, monkeys? Monkey Dan here, and welcome to the Live Wild or Die podcast. I've been following the conversation on the Monkey Wild Facebook group, and got to give a shout out to Zolt and Ernesto. And Zolt, if I'm not saying your name right, please correct me. But shout out to you guys. They started this thing. They're the ones. They started it. They founded it. So it's been a totally organic uh, group outside of kind of monkey.co official. So it's just, it's really cool to see just the grassroots stokage on everything monkey. And again, I'm just, I'm happy to join the conversation. And Ernesto had called me out asking about my kind of training background. And let me read his question and then I'll dive in. I've, I've talked about this a little bit in previous episodes, but I've never really dove in super deep. So Hopefully this sheds a little bit more light. So Ernesto writes, I do have to ask monkey Dan, did you really build your body primarily through body weight training? If not, what fitness program did you use and what do you practice currently? I know you mentioned being a wildland firefighter and wilderness ranger. Is this where you developed your body for myself? Ernesto, my goals are to be strong and functional first and foremost, but a good-looking body is a plus. Amen, brother. <laughs> so I'm just going to kind of go through how I started training and how that evolved over the years and where I am now. So starting back in, let's see, what would the year be? Like maybe 95, 1995? So when I was, basically when I was in fifth grade, I started doing calisthenics at my house. So I had my parents go out and buy me a pull-up bar that I installed in the doorway in the frame of my door. So I do pull-ups, I would do push-ups. I would do uh, kind of funny story. My dad bought my mom. <laughs> he bought my mom this like ab crunch machine that I don't think she used one time and I don't blame her, but, uh, he bought this thing and I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. So it was, you know, it was just this thing. It was like a bar and there was a pad that went behind your head and you would do all these different crunches. And I, I watched the video once and then I would do like, you know, 200, 300 reps on this thing, just all these different ways. And it kind of worked in a way, you know, I think, I think at that time anything would have worked, but I was just so consistent with it that it definitely, you know, kind of developed that midsection pretty well. And then same thing, you know, I would do pull-ups, chin-ups, all kinds of different versions on that. Like I said, I would do push-ups. I would, I, again, my parents had these dumbbells that never got used. So I pulled those out. You know, they were like five to 15 pounds, nothing crazy. Again, I'm like 10, 11 years old. So I'd pull those out and just do curls, presses, you know, kind of more like bodybuilding type stuff. And then my, my inspiration was kind of twofold. It was very performance oriented. So I, I would, I, I wanted to play in the NHL. I grew up playing ice hockey and roller hockey, but I wanted to play in the NHL. And I recognized at an early age that physical training could really help that. So I would do stair sprints. I would like, you know, do these kind of like plyometric exercises as well. Just all kinds of generally body weight stuff, but you know, a little bit of I guess you would call it resistance training with the dumbbells and whatnot. And then, you know, just to be honest, like there was another side to it that was, 
you know, body image. So er, Ernesto mentioned this a little bit, but I, I've, I've never really, I haven't really talked about this either. Um, so, you know, like most boys, you kind of get a little soft at a certain age and, you know, I was pretty active, but you know, I got a little soft, had a little bit of chub and I just, I don't know what it was specifically, but I just remember being self-conscious and basically wanting a six pack. And I, I can remember my cousin, he's seven years older than me. I can remember him. I can't remember how old I was, but I can remember him kind of giving me shit for not having a six pack. He's like, I had a six pack when I was whatever. And maybe, maybe that was part of it, but I just was a little self-conscious of being that kind of awkward, you know, nine, 10, 11 year old softness. So frankly, that was definitely an inspiration, you know, wanting to, to look good. Um, I think, I think what kind of helped keep it healthy in a way was the performance side. So wanting to be an athlete and all that, but you know, I would be straight up lying if I didn't admit and didn't say that there certainly were aesthetic, uh, motivation. So yeah, that's something I haven't talked about a ton, but you know, we can dive into that psychology deeper. So I'm sure a lot of guys have had that same thought process. And for me, it just happened to hit at a pretty early age. So, so I'm like in fifth grade, I'm 10, 11 years old. I'm doing all this training at home. And I'm also, I played like seven different sports kind of from fifth grade to seventh grade. I played ice hockey, roller hockey. I ran track. I was on the swim team. I played baseball. I played basketball and I played soccer. And I think that's it. And, you know, so just throughout the year, you're constantly doing all these different things. And I think that I've always been good. I I would say I've, I've always been kind of an above average athlete at most things I did, except for swimming. I never was a great swimmer. But I, I think I do well, like more straight up paddling. So like supping, stand up paddleboarding, kayaking, even surfing. I feel good in that type of paddling. But man, if I just have to straight up swim, that always was a challenge. So anyhow, I played all these sports. Plus, I was doing this training on top of it. So that that kind of set this trajectory. And then, you know, ice hockey, as I mentioned, I wanted to play in the NHL from, again, a very early age. That was my dream. I wanted to be a professional athlete. And at first it was professional baseball. And then as I got into hockey, that just became my obsession. So in eighth grade, I played on a team. We won uh, the Northern California Championship. We were a really good hockey team. We were based out of Oakland, California. And that year I started going to 24 hour fitness with my buddy, Corey, who's still one of my best friends, one of my few best friends. And we would go to 24 hour fitness and just do every machine, like to the death, you know, curls, squats, whatever. We would do every machine, just tons of reps, tons of volume. We didn't really have a plan in our head. It was just, if it was hard, it was good. And then, so we'd lift for like, you know, an hour and then we'd ride the bike for, you know, anywhere from 30 minutes to 60 minutes. And this was on top of practice sometimes. So, you know, that's quite a bit of activity throughout the day. So I'd say my volume was always pretty high. 
And again, you're, we're playing at a pretty elite level of hockey. You know, there's not a lot of teams. This is in California. There's not a lot of teams. So there's not a lot of teams, but there's a ton of really good athletes. So I think that helped. So then I entered high school. So that would have been 2000. I was a freshman and I went to a private, it was a Catholic all boys private school in the East Bay in California. And, you know, we had our football team was the national, our football team didn't lose a game for like 13 years in a row. Um, There's movies about the football team. There's books written. So it was very much a sports oriented school and physical training was a huge part of that. So I loved it. I, I played football my freshman year. I played ice hockey, which was, that was a club team that was again in Oakland. And then my freshman year of high school was the first year we had a lacrosse team at the high school. And, you know, going from hockey to lacrosse was a pretty good, or I would say pretty easy transition. You know, a lot of the skills cross crossover. But as far as training, you know, I was still lifting weights. I think I was still going to 24 hour a little bit. And then, you know, we had a, we had a solid weight room at at high school. So I would get in there as much as I could. And then my sophomore year was the first year we actually had a varsity lacrosse program. So I was part of that team and that's where we really dove in and got a little bit more sophisticated about our training. That was running, that was weightlifting And our coach was actually, it was one of my teammates, shout out to Pat McCaffrey. It was one of my teammates' moms. And Cindy, I got to, she actually, she taught me a lot. She was a triathlete. She was probably one of the best in the state, if not the country at her age group. But we kind of had this triathlete-esque training regimen. But it, it actually worked out well for lacrosse. You know, it's a field sport. It's a running sport. And, uh, so we did all kinds of running interval training. And we also, we, we would run sometimes to, or no, I guess that's not true. We would run to practice. So sometimes we had to run to practice to the field and run home or run back to the high school. I said, we didn't have enough room. There just wasn't the field space for our team. So we, we'd have to run to like this community park practice and then run back. And then same thing with the weight room in the first couple of years, there just wasn't space with all the other sports and, you know, football, basketball, baseball kind of had priority. So we would go to this gold gym just, you know, it was a couple of miles away. We'd go there and train. And I remember it was the summer. I think it was the summer between my sophomore and junior year, but a buddy and I, we'd go like four or five days a week and we'd lift for a couple hours and then go get Jamba juice, which, you know, at that time was the quote unquote, a healthy thing to do. You know, I can't remember what the sizes were. It was like the jumbo Jamba juice with extra protein. So I'm sure it helped with calories, but I don't know how, how, uh, how that was for straight up health. But anyway, so got pretty strong, put on some muscle mass. And again, I was in this just very sophisticated, really high level, high school training program as well as playing ice hockey at a really elite level. So, you know, in high school I played on a team, we were the Oakland bears. It was called, we were double a or tier two. And essentially it was a national level team. So we would travel to LA a lot. We would travel to up and down the West coast, like Portland, Seattle. We'd go to tournaments in Canada. We'd go like to Texas. We'd go back East and play in Connecticut against prep schools and, we were good. I mean, we, we had, I think, you know, hockey isn't that big 
from like a cultural standpoint in California, but just there's so many good athletes and so many people that we always had really good teams. And that was, ah, man, just, I loved it. It was so much fun, you know, being in the locker room, the camaraderie, it was definitely like an iron sharpens iron type of environment. And same thing in high school, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't this cushy, soft environment. It was definitely kind of that old school blue collar mentality of again, iron, sharpen iron, iron, iron sharpens iron, excuse me. So, and I guess to get back to the training specifically, you know, we started doing Olympic weightlifting, squats, deadlifts, all that stuff in high school, you know, so it was barbell resistance. Weight training was a big part of that. We would do focused core training, you know, crunches, sit-ups, all kinds of stuff like that. We would do tons of running, agility work, sprinting, plyometrics, all that stuff. So just th think of like a strength and conditioning environment. Same way that, you know, professional athletes trained. We were essentially doing the same thing just at, you know, the high school level. So I remember there's a point where I was trying out for this. It was like a West Coast or, yeah, like a Western regional hockey team. And I'd made the first cut to go like to the final training camp or whatever. And I believe I was a junior in high school and to go to that training camp, I was going to have to miss, miss a bunch of lacrosse. And I remember just this kind of pivotal moment of not going to that camp and focusing more on lacrosse. And, uh, I knew that was kind of changing the trajectory that, yeah, I was probably wasn't going to play college hockey or go to the NHL by that time. And uh, lacrosse was going to be the focus. So I did that realized I kind of wanted to play division one lacrosse, go back East. And I went to some recruiting grant, excuse me, recruiting camps on the East coast that at the time were pretty selective. And I got some interest. I remember I got letters from the Naval Academy and I actually did do some, where else did I get Villanova Hobart? No, not Hobart Villanova Lehigh. And I did official like, you know, recruiting trips. I went out to Lehigh for an official visit. I went to Villanova and I got a little, <laughs> I remember talking to like the Dartmouth coaches, but my grades weren't good enough. Unfortunately, even though I had good grades, you know, they just, the Ivy league is next level. So anyhow, I got recruited by, but it wasn't by like the top tier teams that I really wanted to play for. So I was kind of in this situation where I really wanted to go to Notre Dame and I went actually, I went out there for like a month in between my junior and senior year. And it was, it was more of like an academic thing, but it just happened to work out where there was this lacrosse camp there. So I convinced the program directors, let me in, got to play in front of the coaches and, you know, they kind of gave me the, if you get into school, Let's talk, but otherwise, you know, good luck. So no recruiting from Notre Dame. And I actually, I didn't get into, I remember very vividly pulling that letter out of the mail saying you were not accepted. And, you know, I was bummed for a couple of days, but, um, before that I'd actually gotten into Georgetown. And what's interesting is I never, so in high school, we'd gone out and played lacrosse in DC, Washington, DC, um, I think we did it two or three years in a row. We'd go out and play some prep schools 
and we would visit, we visited Georgetown, I think twice. And, you know, it's a nice, it's a really beautiful campus. You know, it's an old school, really beautiful campus, old stone buildings. And, you know, I was like, oh, this is nice, but I didn't have this like burning desire to necessarily go there. But I remember my high school lacrosse coach, Bob O'Meara, I'm eternally grateful because he kind of nudged me, Hey, you should apply. And I just, I kind of applied on a whim and I think that actually kind of helped just, I wasn't so married. My identity wasn't tied to getting into Georgetown or not. So I happened to get in and ended up going to school there. And at the time their lacrosse team was like a top 10 team. And so I reached out to the coaches, sent them kind of my video, all that, and showed up at school, started working out with the team, started practicing with the team, and I was a walk-on. So there was like 20 or 30 walk-ons that year, and just every day there was less and less walk-ons. And then finally there was just myself and one other guy who's actually from California, ironically. But I remember vividly, I think it was like October I was lifting and the coaches said, Hey Vinny, they called me Vinny. Hey, come to the office after you're done. So I go in, they sit me down, they say, Hey, we think you can help us out, but we want you to essentially redshirt a year and, you know, maybe come practice a little bit, keep training and then try it again next year. So it was this, it was this like pseudo redshirt, but not really. I essentially got cut, but the benefit was I still had this kind of open door invitation to go train in the weight room and then try out again next year. And I actually did practice with the team occasionally as kind of like a kind of like Rudy style where I just got my ass kicked to kind of mimic the other team. So very character building uh, to say the least, but I took full. So I guess to really get back to answering Ernesto's question, I took full advantage of that invitation to go train and coach Augie Morelli, who is, you know, he was like an Olympic trial level Olympic lifter, wild man, super intense dude, extremely knowledgeable strength conditioning coach. I approached him and said, Hey, you know, this is my situation. I just, I'm not really playing so I can just really focus on getting stronger. So he wrote me out a program and you know, my squat went up by like 300 pounds. My clean went up by, I don't know, hundred pounds. You know, it's just at the time you just have that testosterone pumping through you. You can eat as much food as you want and not really worry about gaining weight and all that. So I just, I made training a priority. I made it my job and I got super strong, put on some mass. You know, I think I, I graduated high school at maybe around 150, 155, depending on water weight. And then my sophomore year of college, I was like 176 and definitely had a little bit, uh, higher body fat percentage, but you know, I was, I had some meat on me as well. So ass moves mass. If you, if you want to get super strong, gaining weight definitely helps, but is that the best for health and wellness? Maybe, maybe not. And also, you know, it depends on your goals too. You can also be super strong and lean. So it just depends on what you want to do. Anyhow, got super strong and then tried it again the next year, made the team. And then once I was on the team, that's when it was like, you're essentially kind of this pseudo professional athlete. You know, I would spend minimum two or three hours a day, sometimes more like four to six hours a day 
training. And that meant like on the field practicing. That meant in the weight room. That meant in the training room after practice, after lifting, stretching, icing, all kinds of rehab stuff. And uh, so, you know, there's the amount of volume and the consistency of volume was just so high at that level. And, you know, I just, I think a lot of people don't realize like division one college athletics, the training intensity in some ways is more intense than professional sports. Um, you know, you have professional coaches whose job and livelihood really is dependent on your performance. So they, 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 uh, they do a, I think that is very motivating for them and pushing you to your absolute limit and kind of squeezing every drop out of you, which I haven't really thought of that before, but it makes total sense. Now, if their livelihood depends on my performance, they're going to want to squeeze everything out of me. And at the time I was more than willing and happy to do it. So I was playing lacrosse. I was also playing club ice hockey, which was kind of like a side gig in a way, you know, it's, it's club. It wasn't like division one or anything like that, but we had a good team. We won. Gosh, I'd have to look it up. We won essentially like the East coast athletic league, like club my freshman year. And I played again, my senior year actually. And then sophomore, junior, I was focused on the cross, but again, just training all the time. Plus like I'd go to yoga a couple of times a week. I would just, I was always doing stuff. I'd go play basketball with friends. And just, again, I was so active and so committed to that, that I think that combination of, again, being young and resilient, being able to consume all these calories to fuel that activity and then again, just being in school and having the time to do it was, it all kind of combined for the perfect storm. So I finished, well, let's, let me take a step back. So my 2007, that was the first season I was a wilderness ranger. And it was through this organization called the Student Conservation Association, which I think still exists. And essentially what they do is it's like internships where they work with the land manager. So National Park Service, Forest Service. I would assume BLM, any land manager they work with, and they basically place students in these positions that can kind of help them if they're interested, get, you know, a real job once they're no longer students. So I got super into wilderness kind of right my senior year, high school, freshman year of college, and then went back to an urban school in DC. So I'm always just wanting to get out in the wild, be wild, all that stuff. And my mom got to thank her for this. She actually found the SCA and I applied. I got, was offered a position in Sequoia national forest, which is just South of Yosemite national park. And, um, basically I show up in early June. I showed up early. Actually, I couldn't wait to get out there. This little tiny town in the foothills of the Sierras in California my boss, this guy, Frank, he's this older chain, this old chain smoking firefighter guy, single, just kind of that grumpy, but he's grumpy, but he likes you. So I'm riding around with him in the truck for the first week or two. He's showing me the ropes and another kid showed up from Ohio, James, we worked together that summer and essentially they just threw us out in the woods for three months, gave us a radio, a crosscut saw, and we'd go out for four days camp at this cabin slash shack 
and you know we'd work out of there we'd hike the trails we'd clear the trails we'd cut out trees we did a couple uh like helicopter evacuations which was wild and uh one thing i have like a 20 minute video i made it's on youtube i think if you search like monkey dan wilderness or something like that it's on actually let me pull it up real quick i'll give you guys the real specs here i made this video of myself training in the wild my first season out there in 2007 let's see okay it's right here give me one more moment hmm see if a search will pull it up all right here we go okay so the video is called pre monkey dan so pre dash monkey dan wilderness workouts 2007 i'll link this in the show notes that would have been way easier so anyways so 2007 i show up in sequoia national forest i throw myself and james out there and first thing i do is build a weight room out of like logs then I uh, go gather a bunch of rocks that I can use essentially for like dumbbells, medicine balls, slam balls, things like that. I made a pull-up bar because, you know, we're at like almost 9,000 feet. So what happens is the snow bends all the branches down. So there's not really any horizontal branches coming off the trees. Everything had this like downward tilt to it. So I cut a straight branch, took a rope, tied it to each end, and then threw it over uh, a kind of like a knot so it wouldn't slide off. So it's kind of like the original monkey bar. And then, oh yeah, I remember I made, I brought some rope and I drilled a hole through like a thicker branch and I made like a wrist roller. So I put this rope through the hole in the branch, you know, it's maybe like four feet long. Then I tied a rock to the end and I would stand on this fallen log and like do the wrist rolls up and down. So I do stuff like that. I made like a dip station from a tree stump and then, put a cut log next to it so I could do dips. Just did all kinds of stuff. Check out, check out the video. It'll kind of give you a, uh, it'll give you the essence of what was going on. But so we were hiking like, I don't know, five, 10 miles a day at altitude carrying load. Plus I was doing this. I was working out afterwards back at our camp. And then on days off, we were, we were at these barracks in the foothills and there was a fire station there. They had a weight room. So I'd go lift in the weight room or they had these pull-up bars outside. So I'd go just do, you know, a shit ton of pull-ups, core exercises. I'd run the roads, which were like super steep, hilly mountain roads. So I was just, again, the volume was just so just next level. And when I went back to college for my senior year, that would have been fall of 2008. I was definitely in the best shape of my life. And so lacrosse is a spring sport. So we train all fall and then you come back in January and that's your like kind of build up process for the season. And, you know, I never played, I wasn't a starter. I was, I rode the bench, my sophomore, junior, and then the first three games of my senior year. And we were kind of having a rough start to the season. And we, uh, I remember we were playing Delaware at home, University of Delaware. We were losing, and they'd gone through everyone that played my position. And finally, they're like, all right, let's try this guy. And I go in, and, you know, we ended up winning the game. I ended up, you know, performing good enough that we were able to do that. And then I ended up starting the rest of that season. 
which was really cool. And the the first game I actually started was against Duke, who was the number one. They were number one team in the nation that at the time. I remember the morning of that game walking. You know, it's like 7 a.m. on a college campus, so no one is up. I was walking to breakfast, and this, like, eagle flew over me and just, oh! And I knew the omen was good. And we won that game. It was awesome. Started the rest of the year, and then I remember my coach came up to me one day. and was like, hey, Vinny, you know, you have a year of eligibility, so if you want to come back next year, you know, it's kind of an open, open invitation, and, you know, we'd have some scholarship for you. So I graduated in 2000, May of 2008, went and fought fire in Montana that summer into the fall. And then I went back to school in the spring of 2009 and played. Basically, I had to take three classes, just kind of post-grad classes, and then play lacrosse. That was like being a pro. That truly was like being a pro athlete. You know, I was just, my class load was so minimal and it, you know, it didn't really, there wasn't like a trajectory to that class load, which, you know, you could argue was good or bad. Maybe I missed a little opportunity there. But anyways, so I really, all I did was train, you know, and we would like, we would practice and then we, we would lift typically two or three days a week, depending on when it was. But on the days we weren't myself and a few other guys, we'd go in and do these kind of like CrossFit esque circuits. And I'd, I'd been introduced to CrossFit in 2006 by my buddy, Matt McCallum from the Naval Academy. And, uh, you know, we just go, it was just, you'd go look at the website, see what the wad was. And then we'd experiment with it. And I remember doing like, there's this one called Fran where you do 21, 15, nine reps of thrusters with a 95 pound barbell and pull-ups. So it's like essentially a front squat to a press and then pull-ups and I remember myself and a few other guys did that. <laughs> like we were all super, we did it like stupidly on probably a Thursday and we had a game Saturday and we were all super sore for the game. I think we still won, but so I was doing kind of that style training plus the strength and conditioning training, plus the on the field work, plus yoga, plus, you know, just again, it was just, I, I was living like a pro athlete. So I finished college in 2009. I went back to Montana to the same fire crew. And I think what's important to note about that from a training perspective is, you know, we got paid to work out the first hour, which was rad. That's having that as part of your job. I just, it it blew my mind that people wouldn't take advantage of that. I don't get it. But so we'd get paid the first hour to work out, but we went beyond that. We'd get up even earlier lift and then for PT, we'd like maybe ruck with heavy packs or do more calisthenic stuff or, you know, do interval sprints, whatever. So it was just, we'd already have an hour or two of like really focused, intense training. Then we'd go work, which was, you know, it was physical work. You know, we'd go out and do, if we weren't on a fire, which, you know, wildland firefighting, it's not like every day you're, you know, <sighs> battling blazes out there unless you're on a hotshot crew which I was not, but we would go do project work in the forest where we'd like thin out these different units for whatever, um, treatment the silviculturist thought was the most appropriate. So, you know, you're chainsawing all day, you're stacking logs, you know, it just, it was a manual labor job. And 
that's what we did every day, all day. So you're kind of doing this like low level activity. It's not super intense, but you're still working. You're doing a ton of volume and this is in Montana in the summer. So it's beautiful out. The weather's perfect. You get off work at four, four thirty. you have, it's light to like 10, 11 at night. So we'd go ride, we'd go mountain bike on the ski hill that was just out of town. We'd go hop on our buddy's boat and go wakeboard. We'd go hike. I mean, we'd go play basketball. There's just, it was just nonstop action. And we could do that for like maybe two, two, eh, two maybe three weeks. And then there'd be like this mandatory couple of rest days. And that was 2009. And then I went on a trip and when would that would have been? Oh yeah. So 2009, that winter I snowboarded like it was my job. So I was on the mountain like five, six days a week. Plus again, going to the gym training. I was going to meet actually monkey David co-founder. He was in the Peace Corps at the time in Africa. So we were going to climb Kilimanjaro and travel around. So I was training for that. You know, I wanted to be good to go there. And, uh, to spring of 2010 traveled for a couple months, backpacked with some college friends, was in Africa, was in Spain, came back to California late spring. And I had a wilderness ranger job where I had worked as an SCA intern. So same spot in Sequoia where I had worked, uh, that summer, 2007. And I go out in the wilderness that first day. My gym is still there. I was so stoked. So kind of same thing, you know, I'm out, I'm hiking, you know, five to 10 miles a day minimum. Plus I'm working out. And sometimes I would do day trips. Sometimes I was doing overnight. So depending on what I would do, I'd either train out in the wild or I was back at that same fire cache. I would go, you know, lift weights there, run hills in the, these kind of mountainside country roads in a way, again, doing tons of calisthenics. I just, I love doing pull-ups. So I was doing all kinds of stuff like that, running sprints. And that was the year that 2010 I'd read the book, which uh, monkey Kim and I just talked about. I'd read born to run and got, was like, Oh, barefoot running makes total sense. So I, I bought the Vibrams immediately put them on and went for like a, you know, eight, 10 mile hike in the snow. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that, but I just dove, dove into that barefoot running. And, uh, like I said, I'd hike all day and then throw on the barefoot shoes and go run interval sprints or whatever outside the barracks plus lift weights, plus just again, doing all kinds of stuff. And then so I would work typically four 10 hour days in a row. So I'd work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Cause that's when the most people are out in the wilderness, go do that, you know, doing manual labor, trail work, all kinds of stuff. Then my days off are Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, basically would get back Monday repack and then probably, you know, camping that same night or, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, my, my goal basically was just to do as much as possible every day. So I'd like maybe start with the trail run. And that was 2010 was the year I got into climbing. So I'd start with the trail run and then maybe go like boulder around something, then go lift weights, then go swim, then maybe go fly fish and then just rinse, repeat, do it again. Or I'd meet up with a buddy, go backpack. So it was just, again, all summer it was just outside in the sun, 
at altitude, just doing as much as I possibly can. And as far as like training protocols, I guess at the time it was kind of that, I guess it was kind of CrossFit esque in the sense of I wasn't doing this like, uh, like linear progression. It was very much variable. So I would, you know, I had, I, uh, downloaded this document of all these body weight workouts so I could do those, you know, at the fire cache, whatever. And, uh, I'd lift rocks, logs, just, I would do all these little kind of wad esque workouts just in the best way I could, whether I was out in the wilderness or camping, whatever. And then let's see. So 2010, let's think about this. August of 2010, I met my friends, Philip and Janet, who Philip was a park ranger, law enforcement officer for Kings Canyon. His, him and his wife used to work on the Yosemite search and rescue team, Yosar. It's like the super elite climbing rescue team. So I was out climbing, not knowing what the hell I'm doing, ran into Philip. They kind of took me under their wing and showed me all the ropes, uh, figured it literally and figuratively. And every day off is essentially like, where are we climbing? What are we doing? And it was awesome because they both were both Philip and Janet were awesome climbers, very knowledgeable, very safe. And they had a young daughter. And essentially what we do is we'd go out to, you know, some huge dome or whatever. I'd go climb it with Philip. We'd come back down, have a quick snack. Then I'd go do it again with Janet. So I got in a ton of climbing volume. And again, I didn't stop doing any other stuff. So it was just, it was like one more thing I was doing. And I think climbing specifically, like looking at it from a natural movement standpoint, it's just, it's so good for your body. I think the body responds to it really well, as long as you don't overdo it. And the type, the type of climbing we were doing is, you know, it's traditional free climbing, which is essentially what you're doing is, you know, you're climbing cracks and all these different features that you can place your own protection. There's these, like these little aluminum nuts that wedge into cracks or these other devices called camming devices that you kind of shove in a crack and then they press out and that friction keeps it from pulling out really check. If you just do a quick Google search of like climbing rock protection or rock climbing protection, you'll see all this stuff. But so the stuff we were doing, it wasn't like, it wasn't this high. It's not like it's that hard, but it's very full body. It's very natural movement and you're engaging your core, your whole body, you're outside all day. It's that low level activity that I think the body just responds so well to. So I was doing that through while I was out being a ranger and that season, I think I finished the season. This is seasonal work as well. So I remember, I think I finished that season like early November, went down to Joshua tree national park, climbed for a month and then went home and I was, you know, I, let's see. So I would have been 20, 25 at the time. I believe I was 25. Yeah. And I was kind of in this point where, you know, I was doing these seasonal jobs, but I didn't have this like clear direction of where I wanted to head. So that fall of 2010, that's where monkey David and I, who again, who's monkey co-founder. That's when we took our first swing at entrepreneurship. So he called me with this, he's all stoked about 
trying to start what we ended up calling wild man revivals, which I think the, I think the idea is still rad and we kind of actually did it with the monkey venture, but essentially what wild man revivals were, were essentially like these fitness retreats in Montana where we'd show up, we'd eat good food for a week. We had this, this kind of like guest ranch that had, you know, I think it was like 400 acres of mountains and forests. So we'd run the trails, we'd lift logs, we'd lift rocks. We'd essentially do what I was doing in the wilderness, just in a little more formal setting, you know, jump in the lake, do kind of all this stuff, you know, the cold water immersion, yoga, all these things that have become more and more popular. This was back in 2010, right when kind of MoveNet was coming out. And there's another company called Wild Fitness. But it just, you know, it was Dave and I and, you know, a $400 a month shitty apartment in Montana trying to launch this thing. And it just fell pretty much flat on its face. So we worked on that from kind of the fall, winter of 2010 into the spring of 2011. And again, this, this is a podcast about training. So what I was doing during that time, it was kind of this hybrid of rock climbing and strength and conditioning and CrossFit. So I would do my, I, I still had my, um, like my college strength and conditioning sheet. So I would kind of take some elements of that. And that was generally like, you know, the big lift squats, cleans, deadlifts, all that stuff. I'd kind of do these more weights, weight training, strength specific workouts. And then I would do kind of the more metabolic high intensity training, you know, that kind of more CrossFit style training, and then I was climbing and then plus I was, I was getting more and more into running as well. So doing a lot more focused interval work, long distance work, things like that. Spring of 2011 rolls around, you know, we just, no one signed up for Wildman revivals and I'm like, I'm running out of money. So I fortunately was able to get a job back in Sequoia, but in a Sequoia is a huge forest. So I got a ranger job in an area called the golden trout wilderness, super awesome place. And it's, it's totally under the radar. So that job was rad. Cause I convinced them to let me work. It, it was a, it was truly a backcountry position. So we'd go out, it was eight days on six days off. So I'd work essentially eight days in a row, go on these backcountry tours. And then I'd have six days off best work schedule ever. You know, the last couple of days would get a little tedious out there, especially if I was alone, but oh man, it was so awesome to essentially have like a week off in between work. It was, it was awesome. But again, training wise, what was I doing? A shit ton of calisthenics. I was still climbing a ton. I was hiking with load every day for, you know, again, the minimums like five to 10 miles every single day. And I was still kind of in this, like that summer specifically, I didn't get to lift weights in the same way. So I wasn't doing like the same barbell training that I'd been doing up to that time, but we're still doing a ton of calisthenics. And I, you know, I do kind of that wild gym, outdoor rock workouts, that kind of 2007 style. So I was doing all that. The season finishes 2011 and I'm kind of, and I'm 26 now. I'm just like, man, I don't know. I, I, I love, it was a great job. I loved it. But one, like being a 20 something year old dude alone in the woods for extended periods of time is rad, but it's also, 
definitely lonely for sure. And, you know, I was single at the time too, so that wasn't helping. And 2011, I went back home, stayed with my folks for like six months. I was just trying to like figure things out. And it was easy for me to kind of create my own little entrepreneurial situation. So I, I could give lacrosse lessons. I could coach. I started, that was, let's see, when would that have been? I can't remember if it was, I think it was 2012, actually, that January or February, I did the CrossFit certification as well as the uh, NSCA, so National Strength and Conditioning Association. I did the CSCS, which is Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist, which honestly is harder than the you know, the CrossFit cert at the time, especially you'd pay a thousand bucks, go to a weekend seminar, boom, certified the NSCA CSCS. That was, you had to have a college degree, although it didn't matter. So you could be like an art major and still get it, but you just had to have a college degree. And then there was this like 400 question test, which was pretty, you know, it was, it was intense. You know, the, the book was like as thick as a Bible and it's, you know, it, it was, exercise physiology, you know, you had to understand the science and all these things, not just, you know, this is a squat, this is a bench press, whatever. So did those certifications. And that's when I started coaching really professionally that kind of launched that, uh, endeavor. So that would have been January of 2012. And I was actually coaching at this rad gym in California called Diablo Rock Gym, who was managed by Hans Florin, who is famous Yosemite speed climber. So I was like, you know, being in that situation as a climber, working with Hans was just like, you know, it's like working with your hero in a way. So I dove in deep to CrossFit, dove in deep to climbing, and I would do this like, I, I hybridized CrossFit endurance, CrossFit, and climbing training. And what I mean by that is I would, I'd, you know, maybe coach like a 6 a.m. class and then I wouldn't have anything till maybe nine or 10, like, you know, a lacrosse lesson, whatever. So I'd have this huge block to train. So I would do kind of this CrossFit endurance thing where I'd like run a 400 meter sprint, run inside, do a bunch of boulder problems, you know, climbing, whatever. And then I'd go like do deadlifts and just repeat that, things like that. So I built up, excuse me, this really cool type of fitness that was just so perfect for the mountains. And I was living, this was in the Bay area. So I was again, East of Oakland. So I would train like this all week. And then on the weekends, my buddy, Will and I would head up to Yosemite, whatever, go climb, hike, do all that stuff. And, uh, while I was at Diablo, so this was like January, 2012, basically until January of 2013. So for that whole year was essentially training like that. And I had, <laughs> I met this other dude, Grant, who was, he was a Marine sniper, just wild man. And it's kind of one of those things where it's like two kind of more, uh, intense dudes. You put them in the same room. You're a little, you're kind of eyeing each other up for a little while. And then once you kind of break that ice, you become good friends. But I remember he was always doing these crazy, he was doing seal fit. Anyone that's not familiar with seal fit, it's like, it's kind of like CrossFit, but it's just ridiculous amounts of volume. And he was doing seal fit. So, uh, he got me into that and we'd meet early in the morning and do these seal fit workouts. Like, you know, just tons of reps, 
tons of volume. I remember sprinting around the building with him on my back. He did the same with me. And uh, I just got super fit doing that. Even I definitely got a few injuries as well, but we, we just got so fit doing that. And again, not only was I training in this way, but I was, I had a physical job. You know, I was coaching uh, group workouts. I was doing personal training. I was coaching lacrosse. I was giving lacrosse lesson, lessons. So I was active all day, every day, plus on my days off, you know, trying to get out on the trails, climb, whatever. So I did that for a year. January of 2013, my now wife and I, so we were dating. We started dating. Uh, we met November of 2011. And we moved out to Colorado together in January of 2013. Basically, neither of us had jobs. It was a total like blank slate, fresh start with the caveat of Dave, again, Monkey co-founder. Him and I had gotten into this. It, it was like a venture accelerator program. He was in grad school up in Fort Collins doing his MBA. And we apply, you, you could apply as a team to this program. So we were accepted for a concept called the Wild Gym, which again... It was a sick concept. It was essentially like these outdoor gyms, kind of like, you know, they exist in a way like there's these outdoor calisthenic gyms, but we took it to a new level. It was kind of like, you know, this calisthenic gym, excuse me, calisthenics gym plus like strongman plus kind of CrossFit esque plus gymnastics. It was sweet. I, st I saw the drawings actually. It'd be awesome to do, but People love the idea. I mean, we won business plan competitions. I mean, the the momentum behind it was huge. And the first one we were going to install was going to be in Fort Collins. And there was, you know, like six months of buildup, all this stuff. And then just one week, it essentially fell flat on its face. Such a bummer. But, again, focusing on the training. So when we moved to Colorado, I, I had a few uh, job uh, interviews lined up and I kind of knew going into it, but there was a brand new CrossFit gym opening in Boulder, which is owned by Eric Rosa. Who's now the CEO of CrossFit. So I applied at this gym was hired and, you know, immediately started training full time and full time training is definitely not 40 hours a week. Just there's just the energy involved is it would, it's not that it's impossible. It's just, you're going to burn out very quick. So I was training maybe 20, 25 hours, 20, excuse me, 20 to 25 hours a week, which left a lot of free time to one, work on monkey and two, to get out and enjoy my backyard here in Boulder. So climb, trail run, all that stuff. But what tends to happen when you're in that coaching gym environment is you, you know, you're a product of your own environment. So I got super deep into Olympic weightlifting. Actually, that kind of became my specialty and I started competing and, you know, I'd, I'd snatch clean and jerk squat for two hours, no problem. And I was doing that pretty intensely 2013, 2014. And then what ended up happening was I was in a situation where I could essentially leave the gym and I got to kind of have my own little business in a corporate CrossFit gym, which 
Eric Rosa, he was the CEO of a company called Data Logics, who then was bought by Oracle for like a billion dollars or something crazy. But so they had this they had this gym inside the office, and I essentially got to run it. So it was great. So I would teach, you know, I would coach maybe like five group classes a week, do some do actually I did a lot of personal training. But I would be there all day, every day, more or less. And so in between classes, in between training sessions, I would work out. And this, that was probably the time when I was like doing the most hardcore, like again, kind of CrossFit style training. So, you know, doing all the Olympic lifts, all the power lifts, doing all the metabolic conditioning, gymnastics, all that stuff. That's what I was doing. And I did that until August of 2016. That's when uh, Monkey Bars 2 that Kickstarter ended and that allowed me to go full-time monkey. And when that happened, I kind of shifted, I shifted more towards being like, I'd say like a mountain athlete. So from maybe 2012 to 2016, I was very much like in the gym doing kind of, again, that blend of strength and conditioning and kind of CrossFit style training. 2016, it's not that I stopped doing that stuff, but my focus shifted much more back to climbing, trail running, cycling, all, you know, climbing peaks, backpacking, whatever, all that stuff, ultra running. And, uh, that's what I dove deep into from 2016 until now. So, Oh, split boarding as well. Started really getting into backcountry bow hunting the last couple of years. I did, I think the first ultra I did was in, was it 2015? So that was a 50 K. And then, um, so I think I've done three 50 Ks and a 50 miler. So not, you know, not really that, that many, but I got into them like one a year essentially. And, uh, one thing I did, I was that in 2016. I think it was that spring, spring of 2016. I did, I called it the spring trifecta. So it was like a 12 day period. I was doing a big wall climb, an ultra run, which was a 50 K and then an Olympic lifting meet. And that was like 12 days apart. So super like polar opposites as far as like athleticism required. Right. So I was trained to climb a big wall, trained to run an ultra and training to lift as heavy as I possibly could all at the same time. Unfortunately, some epic snowstorm came through and the Olympic meet got canceled, but I just maxed out anyway. It's just to kind of see, I think I was able to do like, you know, 90 or 95% in the snatch and clean and jerk. So it was a pretty cool experiment. I definitely would not recommend that for like health and wellness, but you know, I was like, I was also much younger. So, you know, I was essentially 30. So that, you know, 29, 30 peak athletic potential. And, uh, so again, focusing, getting back to like, how was I actually training at that time? It was this combination of trail running, climbing, calisthenics, body weight, gymnastics, weightlifting, and then kind of these like CrossFit conditioning sessions since 2016 to now it's sh my training's kind it's really 
it's not that much different, but it's evolved in a way. So I'd say I spend less time doing these like huge blocks of like focus training and do a lot more smaller sessions throughout the day. And a, a big impetus of that and a big part of that is because, excuse me, was from becoming a dad. You know, my first daughter was born in September of 2018 and you know, things change. Now I have two daughters. Our second daughter was born 2020 in May, May of 2020. So it's just, you know, the time just isn't there anymore. So what I've tried to do is in- integrate training versus like separate it. So what I was doing, I've talked about this before, but you know, training for the uh, Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim with a infant daughter, you know, it's hard to go on these like 20 mile training runs. So what I would do is I'd walk around the block with her and wear a weight vest, you know, so I'd get more out of that time. And it wasn't like interfering with our experience and that, you know, getting to spend time with her. And it was more like chunking out the work into smaller bites but the total volume still kind of was the same in a way. So I could, I could essentially do the same thing. I just had to go about it in a very different way. You know, I do, you know, maybe two to even four sessions a day, but each one was a little bit shorter. You know, again, maybe it was like, I started really walking a lot more actually really started like a focused, dedicated walking practice and once she was born, my first daughter, you know, our neighborhood like this had this perfect three mile loop halfway. There was a pull-up bar, dip bar. And I could, sometimes I do that like twice a day. So that was kind of like my baseline. And then on top of that, you know, I'd maybe go do, you know, weightlifting session a couple times a week, maybe do kind of that metabolic conditioning kind of CrossFit thing a couple days a week. I would trail run two to three days a week plus climb. So again, I was just getting a ton of variety and getting, I was still very active. It was just done in a different way. Let's talk about like the last maybe year. So that would be where, what is it right now? February. So February, 2020 to what are we in? 21, February, 2021. So I got to think about this for a second. So when did I do Oh yeah. So 2020, the spring, I didn't really do like a ton of like epic, you know, I didn't do any ultras, anything like that. I was still training regularly, but it it became, here's what it was. It, I had some kettlebells. I had obviously, and oh yeah, let me, the one thing I haven't really mentioned is the monkey gear. That's always been a part of my training, you know, monkey bars, original monkey bars two, pocket monkey 360. It's all involved in the training for sure. It's, um, just when I say pull-ups, that probably means it was on monkey bars two or something like that. But, um, the last year I kind of got more and I really got a lot more into body weight and calisthenics and kind of got away from the barbell for I'd say most of 2020, honestly, I had to think about it for a second, but most of 2020, I got away from the barbell. Although I got to say my like COVID panic buy was a barbell 
and some plates. So never stop completely. But, you know, when summer rolls around here, it's just the mountains are calling and I must go. So I'm just, I try and spend any free time I have out in the mountains. So, you know, it's just, I just had to sacrifice something and that became that focused strength work. And not to say I didn't do it, it just it wasn't a priority. And what I did a ton of, though, was just calisthenics, pull-ups, dips, push-ups, air squats, lunges, all that stuff on top of running, core-specific work, things like that. You know, I had my pocket monkey set up uh, at our old apartment or townhome, whatever. It was set up, come down the stairs in the morning, it's right there. So I immediately do my reps in the morning, just always got reps first thing in the morning. And on that note, you know, the, what I think for anyone listening, the most important thing for any type of training you're going to do is consistency. If you're consistent, if you do 10 reps a day consistently, you're going to see improvement. And of course you need to hit like a certain threshold of adaptation, but if you're untrained doing anything consistently is going to give you results. And then, you know, as you adapt, you need to kind of reevaluate and reassess and go from there. But consistency over anything, man, that that's like the fundamental first principle monkey mindset is just consistency. So I was consistently doing bodyweight training, all this stuff. And I certainly wasn't as strong as I once was, but I started doing a little bit more focused barbell work. Yeah. Probably like November. And, uh, you know, it, I, I'm not where I once was, but it doesn't really matter anymore. I kind of need to re I'm not a 20 year old college division one athlete anymore. I'm a dad, I'm a business owner and it's just, being able to squat 400 pounds, just that's not really going to improve my life right now. I just, I really just want to, here's my goal. I want to be the best at being good at everything. So how I'm approaching my training is this GPP general physical preparedness. I want to be generally physically prepared to do essentially whatever I want. And that's going to skew strongly towards stuff in the outdoors. And my thought is if I just maintain this, you know, high level of GPP, if I want to run an ultra, I can just kind of shift my training for, you know, a couple months towards that. If I want to climb hard, I can shift my training towards that. If I want to do like long bike rides or if it's bow hunting season, whatever, I can shift my focus to these things. But you're launching off from such a high level of fitness. It just makes it really easy. And I think you just adapt so much better. And it's, what's interesting is like we really glorify the specialist, which is awesome. You know, it's, it's rad to see, uh, Usain Bolt run faster than any human has ever ran in the world. It's incredible, but you know, how much can, how, how can he climb? How much can he lift? You know, being a specialist automatically means you're sacrificing all these other, other skills. And I think as humans, like my mind, my mindset has shifted more towards health longevity from like pure performance. Not that I don't want to perform at a high level, but I want to do it in a way that's congruent with 
health and wellness and not being in pain all the time, essentially. So being a specialist, by, by being a specialist, you're automatically kind of sacrificing that generalist side of being a human, which I think is what really makes us human. We just, we can adapt to anything and we're, we're a master of none. We're good at everything, but we can't outrun the cheetah, but we can outclimb the cheetah. You know, we can't outclimb the monkey, but we can, I don't know, outlift the monkey. What can we do better than the monkey? I should know that. But, uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at today. And being a dad too, there's you, there's, I can't remember where I read this, but it was essentially like the way you perceive your work and activity can really affect how you internalize it. And what I mean by that is like, if you're doing physical labor and you, there's something about, if you see that physical labor as like a workout, your body is going to internalize it as a workout and you're going to see results differently than someone that just kind of slugs through it. And I I read this, I want to say it was, um, I can't remember the book, but it was essentially like two people could do the exact same physical work and their mental interpretation of it would have vastly different results. So, you know, let's say two guys are digging trenches all day, right? The guy that sees it as like physical fitness and training and as a positive stress, he's going to be jacked. Whereas the guy next to him, that's just like, ah, just kind of, you know, grunting through it, thinks of it as like a negative stimulus. They're not going to see those same results. So I thought that was really interesting. So I think the more you can frame your mindset as every bit of movement you do, whether it's quote unquote training or not, it all is a part of training. Really? It all is a part of becoming fitter and essentially maintaining your body and giving your body the inputs it needs in the context of being like an anti-fragile system. So anti-fragile stress makes an anti-fragile system stronger. It's got to be appropriate levels of stress, but that's the whole concept of anti-fragility. The human body is anti-fragile. Appropriate stress makes it stronger. So, man, that's uh this has been a journey. Oh, but oh, this is where I was trying to go with the kids. You know, carrying, you know, my older daughter, she's getting heavy now, you know. She's not she's maybe 25 pounds something like that, but you know, lifting her around, carrying her around, doing all kinds of stuff with her. We'll hike. I'll have a backpack, her like kid carrier pack. So now she's hiking and really running, which is awesome. So we'll do, you know, these three, five mile loops. And instead of having to take her in and out of the pack, I'll just let her run until she's kind of done. Then I'll carry her. So I'm get, I'm getting like, even though it's not like a quote unquote formal workout, just all these all these opportunities for fitness pop up. And I think if your mind is right, you're going to internalize it properly and you're going to just see positive results. So <sighs> Ernesto, great question. one man. And like I said, monkeys, it's uh, it's, it's been, it's been really cool joining the conversation on the monkey wild Facebook group. And it's kind of like, I can just go through that and, kind of answer questions, uh, through the podcast. So I appreciate you guys. 
I hope this answered your question. And you know what? I have one more thought actually before I sign off. So you said your goals are to be, this is Ernesto. He said, my goals are to be strong and functional first and foremost, but good looking body is a plus. I think, you know, I did a podcast with this guy, Logan Schwartz. Let me see if I can, uh, quote him correctly. He said, essentially, we want a human stay. We want to look like we can move without actually being able to move. And I think if you take the office, if you take the opposite approach, if you learn to move well, you're going to look like you can move, right? So, you know, if you say your goals are to be strong and functional first, I think if that's your goals and you really are consistent and stick to that, you're going to see the aesthetic results as well. And it's like, you know, if you want to throw in some extra sets of like curls or some isolation stuff, there's nothing wrong with that at all. So if you enjoy it, that that's the thing about training. It's like the best training is the training that you do. So ideally you enjoy most of your training, which I do. And hopefully you monkeys do as well. So again, hopefully this answered your question, Ernesto. And guys, if you have questions, just shoot me a note directly. Let's go to elders, E-L-D-E-R-S, elders at monkey.co. Shoot me your questions, shoot me your comments, and we'll just, we'll keep the conversation going. I appreciate you guys. Have a wild weekend. I'll see you out there at Monkey On.